A reading from Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, what a beautiful letter this is. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses today. Uh, verses 9 to 11 we'll pick up in later sermons. We're only, only going to touch on those verses today briefly. Uh, but let's pray and then we will walk through this passage. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word and we pray that today we would hear it, that we would apply it, not resist it. That as we heard in the announcement that this would be how our lives are changed uh, to your glory until the day of Christ Jesus. We thank you for Christ and all that he means to us. In his name and in the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. So a woman invited several people to dinner, and they were all getting ready to sit down at the table. And she looked over to her six-year-old daughter, and she said, would you like to say the blessing? And as is often the case in these scenarios, the little girl said, well, mommy, I'm not quite sure what to say. And the mother said, well, we'll just say what mommy says. You can you know, model your prayer after mine. And so everyone bowed their heads, and the little girl prayed, Lord, why on earth did I, did I invite all of these people over for dinner? <laughs> um, that story for a while to me sounded like a complete apocryphal made-up thing until I had little grandkids and they say similar things. I think it's real, at least to some degree. And what it teaches us is that prayer is not only taught, but caught. And sometimes inadvertently. We model to our kids, to our families, to each other, uh, how important prayer is to us and in terms of what we actually pray for and the tone in which we pray. If we're complaining and griping to people instead of giving thanks to God, then others pick up on that and our hearts are revealed. But prayer is not simply modeled in our homes. It is modeled 
in the home, in the house of God. It is modeled in our churches. And the Apostle Paul here, in these first 11 verses, is basically giving us a beautiful prayer of joy and thanksgiving that we are to model. Now, there's other themes here uh, than prayer, but Paul is really encapsulating the themes that we'll look at in this glorious, wonderful prayer. The word rejoicing or its cognate, joy, rejoicing, uh, that word appears 16 times in this short letter. Paul exudes, he is overflowing with joy, and that is true as he starts by praying. And so today we're going to look at the gratitude of prayer, the confidence of prayer or confidence in praying, and then the goal of prayer. And this is especially true of Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ, as one who was set out as a foundational minister to explain the gospel to the world. But it is also, therefore, secondarily true and applicable to us. So first, we see the gratitude of prayer. I'm, I'm going to begin here with verse 3, which sets the whole theme and the tone of the whole letter. Paul says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. What a way to start prayer. Praying with thanksgiving and with joy for God's people. He thanks God not only that they've come to embrace the gospel, but they, that they share, as we will see momentarily, in his ministry of taking the good news out into the world. They support him through prayer. They support him financially and with personal friendship. So they're a part of Paul's ministry, as we are all a part of God's work in the world today. Now, Paul mentions the, the good news, the the evangelion is the Greek word, the evangel. And there is more of that word in this letter than in any other letter that he uh, talks about. The gospel is throughout Paul's letters, but he keeps bringing up that word here in Philippians. And so now let me take you back to verse 1. He defines the gospel with these opening words, grace and peace. See, with gratitude and affection for them, Paul is reminding them, and therefore he's reminding us, of their identity, of their standing with God, their position in Christ. And he calls them then saints. Now perhaps some of you have grown up with, with a tradition that thinks of saints only as special people, almost like knighted people. But for Paul, all who are in Christ are the saints of God, no matter your age, no matter how long you've been a Christian. If you're a believer, friends, you are God's set-apart one, claimed by him as his special possession. As somebody in our community group so beautifully shared this week, if you were the only person in this world, God would have sent his son for you because he loved you and sets his love upon you. You are his special, cherished possession. And Paul is also saying in this letter that if you are in Christ, it means you are united to his life, to his death, to his burial, to his resurrection, to his ascension to the right hand of the Father, which we'll hear about in Philippians 2, and also you're united to his return, and we are waiting for that. And this letter is 
full of anticipation for the return of Christ, which we also heard mentioned today earlier in the service. And so in holy affection, God stooped down to us to forgive us, to count Christ's performance as our performance. How freeing that is. How much I needed to hear that this week. Because I still, after all these years, so often define my standing with God, my being okay with my own performance, how I do. And I know you all struggle with that to one degree or another. God has counted the performance of Christ as ours, and he has lifted us up as his adopted children. And so in kindness, God has set us in an eternally right and beautiful relationship with him, and that is the word peace, that we have peace with God and peace with one another. And Paul says all of this basically in the first few words. Now, he points out to the Philippian believers that they are partakers of grace. We're going to see in a moment that this is a a more expansive concept, but initially what he means, and it's true for all of us, is that they and we are sharers in, partakers in, God's undeserved grace. This is the good news of eternal life that God gave to the unworthy. Now, in the ancient world, it has been pointed out that many philosophers, Seneca, you've heard of him in particular, pointed out that the fabric of society is based so often on reciprocity. You give gifts and you uh, receive gifts. And it was often thought among the Greeks that you give to those who, in a way, can give back to you, because that keeps the structure of generosity and the fabric of reciprocity ever present in the society. But the gospel is is not like that, is it? The gospel is God giving his grace to the undeserving, in fact, the counter-deserving. And the gospel, it's it's not like this. Now, some of you have, um, uh, you're familiar with this uh, New Yorker cartoon. It's always struck me as actually a great way to explain meritorious giving, but there are four people and uh, and two couples, and the one couple's leaving, having had dinner with with the other couple, and the guy has his hand in his pocket, and he says, look, we're not into payback dinners, so what do I owe you for a reasonably good meal? (laughs) And I think that that is often the way that society structures giving and receiving, but Paul is saying no The gospel is not like that. It is not based on any prior virtue or condition that God finds in us. If it were, we'd all be hopeless and doomed. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul sees that gift of grace and peace operative in their lives. And friends, it is operative in hundreds of thousands and millions, tens of millions of people now around the world. Let me start a little further out first. A few years ago, there, there was a testimony, and it's still uh, valid today, uh, from a woman named Doreen Virtue. And this is Doreen telling her story from about two years ago. She wrote, as recently as five years ago, I was the world's top-selling New Age author, meaning selling crystals and tarot cards and divination cards, and, and she was in high demand. She, 
She goes on, at the time, I enjoyed a phenomenally lucrative lifestyle. I lived on a 50-acre ranch in Hawaii. My publisher treated me like a rock star, flying my husband and me first class to give sold-out workshops across the globe on New Age principles. We would stay in penthouse suites at swanky hotels and rub elbows with celebrities. Yet despite this worldly success, I was hardly at peace. Think of the first word Paul starts with, peace to you. Doreen Virtue writes, for all my new age seeking, there were answers I could never find. For me, Jesus functioned as a spirit guide who, like a magic genie, helped me make my wishes come true. That is, frankly, whether people are new age or not, that is how so many see Jesus today. Like a magic genie, helping people's wishes to come true. Well, this woman writes that, one day she was driving in Hawaii and she had the car radio on and she heard the preacher, Alistair Begg, some of you know of him, and he was preaching a very convicting sermon and she was floored with her sense of sin and salvation, uh, her need for salvation. She was floored by the, the wrong ways that she was taught, uh, telling others about Christ as sort of this genie that could be used rather than the God who was worshipped. Well, over the span of some time, she and her husband got involved in, in a Bible-believing, gospel-centered church in Hawaii, and, and she recounts how in that season she heard a, a sermon from Deuteronomy in which God uh, expresses his disapproval for things like divination, divination and fortune-telling, all the things that she was into. And one day, she cried out to God, and she said, basically, God... I am so sorry. And she marks that day as the clear conversion and turn in her life. Well, then she followed up in this article and she said, I pray continually that God will use my witness to point new agers. And maybe we don't use that term as much today, but there are a lot of people who still follow this way of thinking. She wants to point new agers to Jesus and share the gospel, the good news that we find in Philippians. She goes on, after seeking but never finding peace in New Age, I have finally found it in Christ. And despite the storms in my life, my hope and trust in the Lord holds me steady. You see, what Paul is talking about has reverberated down through the centuries to take hold of a woman like that. And most of us don't have such dramatic stories. We're not going to be in a you know, magazine spread. But our stories, your stories, are beautiful and wonderful, and they are worth telling. And so Paul speaks to his fellow believers in this way with great affection. In verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way, this affection, this love for you, as you are partakers with me of grace. We share friends, in our salvation together. If you are joined to Jesus, that means that automatically you are joined to your brothers and sisters. That means that I need you, you need me, you need each other. We are in this journey of faith together. One writer said, and I love this, everybody who belongs to Christ belongs to everybody who belongs to Christ. That is absolutely true. 
And so verse 5 says that we share in or we are partakers and we have koinonia is the Greek word in the gospel of grace. So Paul here is talking about our salvation, but he's also referring to the gift of ministry and taking the gospel out into the world. This is not just about our personal conversion, though it is that. It is about our mission. See, the God who saves us always is the God who sends us. As somebody has said, we are listed in the Lamb's book of life and also enlisted for the Lamb's mission. Those two go together. We have koinonia in the work of Christ for us, but also the work of Christ out in the world. You see, we give thanks that God united us to himself and to each other, and he sends us out. And friends, you are doing what the Philippian believers did as you support gospel ministry and mission in this church. In fact, today, what, a, what an appropriate thing that we've started this letter. We get to hear once again from those who are uh, serving in a closed country. We can't even say the country, but they are a part of our church, and we are a part of them and their ministry as they go and serve in the Middle East to take the gospel there. And see, friends, God uses you to point others to Christ as well here where you are. I mentioned that our community group met this week in Aliso Viejo, and it was so encouraging for us to focus on the theme of gratitude and thanksgiving. And at the end, we went around and just shared what we were thankful for. And there were basic blessings like health and, and shelter and food, things we don't want to take for granted, friendships. But, but what was so evident was that uh, folks were grateful for their church, for each other. Some shared about how this church and people in this church have encouraged them in their faith, even brought them to faith in Christ. And so we find this kind of effusive encouragement and affection in the very prayers of Paul. He says in verse 8 that he prays with joy and he yearns for the Philippian believers. He yearns to see them and to be a part of their lives he prays with affection for them. And this means that we learn to know where God is working in us and through us, and that we are thankful for God's work in our local congregation, as Paul was for this little group of people in Philippi. The Lord was working there, but they weren't perfect, and the same is true of all churches today. Liz and I have... Uh, counseled some folks not in this church who are struggling uh, with their church. And as we've listened, we, we've noted, and it's tricky, there are some legitimate concerns and suggestions, and they're kind of fired up. And one of the things I shared um, in follow-up is that we must all be careful because we have good ideas, you have good ideas, we must all work together to to carry out the vision that the Lord has given to us. But what I said is, people can get into a death spiral in relationships, right? A death spiral in which we see everything through a negative prism and, and kind of a prior grid of critique. So even the best of efforts get turned into something that is negative. 
Friends, we know this happens in marriages, right? Where the, you know, your, your list of 20 things that you appreciate becomes the list of 20 things that bug you <laughs> many years after the wedding. That can so easily happen, and that can happen also in the family of God. So we need to pray with joy and thanksgiving and demonstrate in our prayers an affection for each other and appreciation uh, to God. But then we come to the confidence of Paul's prayer, and it's the heart of this beautiful passage. In verse 6, he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day or until the day of Christ Jesus. This means, friends, that God is going to take us on our journey of faith to the end goal. The, the word for completion contains the word telos, which means, again, it's an end or a target or a goal. And this means that our spiritual progress depends on what God has done, is doing, and will do in us individually and corporately. And so every good thing that is in a Christian, that is in you and me, begins and grows and is consummated by God's grace in Jesus Christ, Paul is saying. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. And this is very important for Philippians. Fruit that will last. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And so, friends, this means that if you know Christ, you're in the hands of the one who will keep you. You are in the hands of the, of the one who, as the women are going to study, changes lives and can change you. And that's good news. As one writer, Alec Motyer, he is a, a, an Old Test, was an Old Testament scholar, but he also writes on this passage so beautifully. He said, salvation would be a wretchedly unsure thing if it had no other foundation than my having chosen Christ. Boy, I know that to be true. He continues, the human will, will blows hot and cold, is firm and unstable by fits and starts, but it is the will of God that is the ground of our salvation. And God will forevermore put his finishing touches on it, on us. He has a vision for what we will become that is not based on our inherent capabilities, but one that is based on his eternal promises for us. My sister and her husband uh, have a small construction contracting company. They used to have nine employees. Now they only have three. And uh, as, as they are in their early 60s, they, they bought a, an old fixer-upper way out in Santa Clarita, kind of the Magic Mountain area out there. And it's a large property. And, and when we went into it the, the first few times, we thought, oh my, this is a garish house. <laughs> uh, the walls are kind of this interesting salmon, salmon pinkish color. The, the tiles are sort of that way, too. The, the lights in the kitchen had this big plexiglass sheet 
covering the lights, if you know what I mean. If you hit it, it would wobble and kind of make a funny noise like, like thunder. In other words, tacky. Um, there, there was a bar kind of set in the middle of the living room, like, uh, you know, like the liquor bar with, with mirrors on it. Um, again, tacky. I hope I'm not describing any of your homes. Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so it was hard to see what this house was going to be like, but they had a vision for it, and they told us about it off and on over the last few years. Well, for the last year, they have literally lived with their little grandson uh, in the garage through the cold winter months, living in the car garage, as they took their vision for the house to improve it. Well, they started telling us about it, and again, it was hard for us to see what they were doing, but it was in their mind's eye. It was on their paper, on their computer. So we all just went up there on Labor Day, our family, and oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, it's generally still a ranch house, but they vaulted the ceiling. Uh, they raised the windows so you can see their acre of glorious oak trees and pine trees in the back. Our whole church could fit back there and then some. Uh, beautiful oak floors, uh, incredibly gorgeous cabinetry. Um, the, the mirrored bar is gone. <laughs> and we got to walk through and see what their vision finally became. And friends, I want you to know that God sees you that way again, not because of anything in you, but because of his plan. He will not stop his building project in your lives, in us. And that could give us and should give us great encouragement. But it's not just personal perseverance that Paul is speaking of. He is saying that, our, our participation in gospel mission will come to fruition. You see, in verse 7b, he says, you are all partakers and you share with me in grace. Now note what he says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of and the confirmation of the gospel. They're involved in his ministry, again, by sharing, by praying, by supporting him, by being his friend. And so Paul is saying that they had fellowship in the glory of this gospel's unimaginable spread to the praetorian guard that was watching over him. We'll see that next week. The guards that were keeping watch over Paul heard the gospel and they came to believe and the gospel then spread out into the Roman world through the worst of circumstances, Paul's imprisonment. And it, the same is true for us today. One of our members who is in his 60s told me this week about his own testimony, and he's written it out, which is a wonderful thing. And just recently, he went back to his high school Sunday school teacher, a layman, who taught him and his friends the Bible. And he sat down and read his testimony, the portion that was relevant to his former high school teacher, and he said this, the high school teacher, he was reading about him, but he was reading it to him. The high school teacher was a dear, godly young man who challenged each of us to follow Jesus. He opened his home to us, answering questions and helping us with our struggles and our walk with God. He challenged and discipled me. Friends, that was 50-some or 40-some years ago. Again, in that story, it's gospel impact reverberating down 
through the decades. What is Paul telling us? That the good work that God has started in us and among us and through us will be brought to fruition and completion, even though sometimes as we labor, we think it's not doing any good. Well, it is. And God has a master plan. He can see it even when we can't. Well, that's the confidence of prayer. And now we look briefly at the goal of prayer. I'm going to use here the New Living Translation to um, convey once again verses 9 to 11. Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, knowing Christ better and applying that to your life. For I want you to understand what really matters, what is excellent, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit, the overflow of your salvation, the righteous character that is produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So what does this tell us? Well, we pray like Paul, we We pray for our growth in Christ. We pray for the advance of the gospel through our church, our ministries, and our missions. Not for our glory, but for the praise of God and his work in Christ and for our encouragement. And as we pray for each other in this way, friends, we learn to love each other more and and we learn to love the world more. And I'll tell you, it's hard to be frustrated with our fellow believers when we're praying for them, when we're giving thanks for each other. Now, it is good for us to pray for the physical health of each other. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for praying for me to be sustained now for 25 years, as long as you've known me, some of you, um, to, to make it through with this kidney disease. And God wants us to pray for each other, to pray that the cancer would be kept at bay, that people would get well. And God has answered those prayers in this congregation so faithfully. But friends, with that in mind, it is even more important that we pray for spiritual health. That we would not only pray uh, for our loved ones, that they would avoid accidents and that they would not be sick, but that as they go through trials, as we face hardship, as things are coming at us in life, that we would grow in grace and become more and more like Jesus, more importantly than my kidneys surviving for the next few years, or that I have just the right donor, which I may already, thank you, Liz. More important than that is that I would grow in grace, that my love would abound, that I wouldn't complain, And that I would be a witness for Christ in those times of suffering. That's what is most important. If I could put it bluntly, as one writer said, we need to learn to pray beyond the sick list. It is very, very important to pray for health. But friends, and God cares about our bodies, but even more to model ourselves after Paul, we pray for spiritual health. Paul wants us to pray that we would be blameless until the day that Christ returns. We pray for those who are doubting and discouraging, discouraged, and 
There are so many believers who are in that state. We need to pray for one another. We pray for those who feel wounded by the world or perhaps by the church. We need to pray for their spiritual and emotional healing. We need to pray for those who have wandered away that the Lord would bring them back. That the Lord, in fact, would carry out his promise that he will complete in all of us together, as well as personally, what he has started in the gospel in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this beautiful letter. There's so much here. We pray that in the coming weeks, but this week in particular, that that we would be impacted. God, forgive us for our ingratitude, our grumbling. Forgive us, forgive me for our sometimes superficial praying. Forgive us for treating you as that woman shared, like a genie. We pray, God, that we would pray in such a way that, that longs to see your kingdom advanced in our lives and in our world and our neighborhoods through the ministries and missions of our church. We thank you for the stories that reverberate down through the decades, the stories from this congregation that are still fresh. God, I pray that we would be confident that you started the good work in us. It is not based on our potential, but based on your eternal promises. And that you can see the master house, the, the beautiful painting, the work of art that you are forming, that, that you will bring to fruition and completion. We pray that that would give us great confidence, not laziness, but confidence and energy and boldness to go out into the world to participate in gospel ministry. And God, I do pray that as we intercede for each other and our, our sicknesses, issues of health, I pray that we would even go further as Paul does and pray that our love and knowledge would abound, that we would become more like Jesus even when our health and especially when our health fails us. I pray that we would increase in the knowledge of Christ and thereby and therefore uh, love one another better and the world better as we go out into the world with the good news, the only good news uh, that you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.